This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Israel Studies. My guest today is uh, Liat Stierlivni, who is Senior Lecturer at the Sapir College in Israel and the Open University in Israel. And we're going to talk about her new book, which was published this year, Our Holocaust, Documentary Cinema by Third Generation Holocaust Survivors in Israel by Syracuse University Press. Liat, welcome to the, to the blog. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Okay. Uh, your book, I found it really interesting because some of the stuff you talk about is completely was completely new to me, particularly the existence, the emergence of a third generation um, in the Holocaust discourse. And I, I wanted perhaps to start by asking you some general questions about the state of Holocaust legacy in Israel today, because this is something that is very present in Israeli culture, very central in Israeli consciousness and Israeli discourse. So a lot of people know a lot about it, but in your book, you're talking about something slightly newer, that is a another dimension in this discourse. And I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, well, I consider Israel to be a unique place when Holocaust uh, awareness is regarding, and the Holocaust was and remains a central trauma in Israel's national consciousness. And the memory of the trauma doesn't fade over the years. This is not unique to Israel. We see it all over the world. But in Israel, it is much more intense. I believe it has a lot to do with the security situation. A lot of times I ponder what would have happened if the security situation would have been different. We can never know. But what's happening today is that the state of Israel is immersed in Holocaust awareness. And Holocaust discourse is only growing stronger and stronger over time. And surveys, in, surveys indicate that the Jewish-Israeli population in general and consider the Holocaust one of the central events within their identity, including young Jewish-Israelis and so on. And contemporary research discusses the fact that the educational system, the culture, the public discourse, all frame the Holocaust as a current ongoing local trauma rather than an event that ended a long time ago in another place. And in this unique atmosphere, I refer to third generation both as a biological term and also as a cultural term. In a biological sense, I mean the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, but they're also a cultural sense, meaning those who were born between the late 1960s and the early 1980s 
and grew up in a society which is drenched in Holocaust awareness. And I must say that I'm one of those. I'm a biological third generation, so this term refers also to me. So, uh, so your book is trying to understand the phenomenon which not you and others call third generation and uh, particularly contribute to this discourse? Yeah, uh, this book is kind of a journey for me to understand what's my generation doing regarding Holocaust awareness. And I wanted to see what my generation has to say within Holocaust commemoration, because my generation entered the cultural arena since the late 90s. And you can see third generations in uh, narratives in cinema, theater, social media, of course, TV, and so on. And I was wondering what's happening in uh, documentaries because we are in an era which is considered the era of documentaries. Documentaries all over the world gained tremendous success in the last two decades and in Israel as such as well. So I wanted to check the voice of my generation through documentaries. And what I did in my book is that I've analyzed 19 documentaries directed by third generation, and I've added examples from other documentary films, show documentaries, television documentaries, episodes from television documentaries, all by third generation. And I've compared them to 16 Holocaust documentaries by second generation survivors in, in order to check what, what's new, what kind of new narratives, aesthetics, and so on do third generation bring with them to the Holocaust commemoration. And I found out, it was very interesting for me to find out, that third generation, meaning my generation, are both affected by and deviate from second generation Holocaust representations. They use what their cinematic parents did in order to create a new layer of commemoration that coexists with the former while constructing new thematic, moral, and aesthetic recollections of the trauma. Meaning what I've found is that the third generation use what was done before them in order to create another layer of commemoration, a new layer of commemoration, which pushes the boundaries of Holocaust commemoration in Israel. So um, we'll talk more about these, this new layer the, that you're talking about, because some of the chapters in your book, you go through them and really, it's very fascinating. But I wanted to, before we proceed, to perhaps do some periodization. And maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the, just give some understanding of what people mean when they say second generation, so that we can talk more deeply about the meaning or the creation of a third generation. So can you talk a little bit about the relationship between the two generations? You began to do this, but perhaps go a little bit deeper into what defines or what defined the second generation and how is the third generation continuing yeah, okay. So research uh, looks at second generation Holocaust survivors as those, the generation that was born after 1945. And again, there are biological second generation and cultural second generation, meaning the people who were born after 1945. And since the 60s, the psychological research began analyzing them and began 
to find out what's the trans- general transfer of the trauma and how does it affect them. And it began since the 1960s. And you can see that there is a lot of discourse regarding second generation. There are hundreds and hundreds of articles, psychological articles, trying to analyze the transgenerational transfer of the trauma. And those articles show us that there is a huge debate within psychological research regarding second generation. Can we use this term? Is it a term that we should use and so on? And what I found that you can find approximately three or four schools of thoughts that we can also find regarding later to third generation. And these schools of thoughts, again, examine whether we can call all those who were born after 1945, second generation, do they have their specific characteristics and the there are very, there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of debate about it. So one school of thought claims that yes, a second generation is a separate group with its own traits, its own characteristics, due to the fact that they were raised in the shadow of the Holocaust. That's first uh, um, school. Second one claims that no, under no circumstances that can you uh, use the term second generation. It's a generalization that's not in a place, and there are various um, um, characteristics, and there are different people who um, refer to the trauma of their parents in different ways, and you can, under no circumstances, refer to those who were born after the Holocaust as second generation. And the third school of thought, and also the fourth, claim that the, you can use this term, but you have to understand that there are many discrepancies between the children, and that in uh, every other family, they use other methods, other uh, ways to deal with the trauma, and so on. So you can use the term, but not generalize. And you can find this exact debate while dealing with third generation Holocaust survivors. You will find the research that claims that you have to use it because you can find transgenerational transfer of the trauma to the third generation. You can find research that claims that under no circumstances are we to use this term, that the Holocaust doesn't pass from one generation to the other. And you can find the other schools who claim that, yes, the grandparents did transfer some of the characteristics of the trauma to the grandparents, but we should consider each case separately and so on. So there is a large debate about it uh, in the psychological community. And what's more interesting is that you cannot find this debate within Israeli documentary cinema. I mean, when you look at second generation documentaries and you can find them from the 1980s onward, and if you want to learn from them what it's like to be second generation, what you learn is that every second generation has a very complex, very intense relationship with their parents because they are brought up in the shadow of the trauma and absorbed the trauma in one way or another, whether the parents talked or talked too much or didn't talk at all. Second generation in Israeli documentaries look at themselves as secondary victims. Let me ask you something. Uh... The, uh, you, you talked about a biological second generation or a, a biological generation, and you spoke about another kind of generation, people who come from the culture and who comment on the Holocaust, which are, can also be considered um, as part of a generation that's responding. Is that correct? Yeah. And in research, uh, you can find people who claim that 
the entire human race can be called second generation and third generation because World War II and the Holocaust affected everyone, if not in body, then in spirit, and the human race is not the same as it was before the war. There are those who claim that you can call second generation and third generation only within the Jewish people because second, the, um, the, Holo- the Holocaust infected the, the entire uh, Jewish people, not only those who suffered from it. And there are those who claim that you can refer to second generation and third generation as cultural terms within Israel because there is a unique, intense Holocaust awareness in Israel. And I belong to this group because I believe that when you grow up in Israel, when you learn about the Holocaust since kindergarten and then through elementary school and then in high school, you travel to Poland to the former concentration camps and ghettos. And then when you wake up in the morning and you read the paper, you realize that each and every public figure and politician uses the Holocaust in one way or another, you're surrounded by the Holocaust, whether you're a biological offspring or whether you're not a biological offspring. And I do not believe that you can find it in any other place in the world, not in that intensity. That's why in my study, when I refer to third generation, I allow myself to include directors who are indeed biological offspring of Holocaust survivors, but also those from their age who are not biological offspring, but grew up in a society in such an intense Holocaust awareness. That's interesting because I wanted to ask you if there is a difference in the ratio between the second and third generation in biological uh, uh, second, I mean, biological uh, descendants and cultural descendants? Um, yes. n- not that I found because, again, I, I am a part of this generation. We all grew up together. People who killed their grandparents came from uh, Europe or North Africa or Asia or other places. We are all the subject of the same educational system, which, again, leaves us from kindergarten until that we're grown up within this immense Holocaust awareness. And I can see today also amongst my students, I teach a lot of students whom their grandparents didn't suffer from the Holocaust at all, came from Yemen and other countries, and they are completely drenched within it like any other people. So I'm sure there are differences, some differences between biological and cultural uh, second generation and third generation, but we are all affected by it. And I want to show what how do we use these narratives that are implanted in us since kindergarten? How do we respond to Holocaust commemoration? How do we, uh, how, how are we affected by it? And how do we affect it when we write our new narratives as the new custodians of memory? Yeah, so in effect, I think, uh, I think you answered the question in the sense that the third gener- in the third generation, um, a greater a larger part of the community, even if it is not biologically related to the Holocaust, participates in the discourse, correct? Yes, and what enables it is, uh, of course, social media, which is a device that second generation didn't have when they began to uh, document their parents in the 80s. So what's happening today is that more and more people can relate to the Holocaust, even if they're not directors who went to film school, or even if they're not uh, writers and so on, they can express their feelings and their thoughts 
in posts, in blogs, in tweets. And so Holocaust awareness and commemoration is just growing wider and wider. Yeah. So um, what I wanted you to do is perhaps give us some examples of differences between these generations by, uh, uh, by, by telling us about specific specific um, works, specific uh, memoirs or, or films or something that uh, would make clear the difference between the, the uh, three generations, between, between, between the two generations. Um, anything that can sort of elucidate these differences by talking about specific cultural products. Yeah. So uh, in my book, I discuss five key uh, areas in which the third generation uses what happened before, meaning the narratives of the second generation, in order to broaden them, to ask new questions, to push the boundaries. And one thing I've noticed when I've analyzed the films and I uh, interviewed them, the directors or read interviews with them, is that they all refer to the same thing. I didn't want to do another Holocaust film, meaning they didn't want, again, to bring to their screen the Holocaust survivors who talk about um, the trauma, uh, the whereabouts during the Holocaust, because this is what happened when second generation began to do their work. When second generation entered the cultural arena, they brought with them in the 80s, they created a revolution. They created a revolution because, and it sounds maybe very strange to hear it in the 2019, but until they came, and of course the revolution has many uh, different reasons, um, they brought with them new narratives which created the Holocaust survivors as protagonists. It was the first time in Israeli culture, in Israeli cinema, that the Holocaust survivors were the core of the films, of the documentaries. It was not the Zionist redemption, it was not the land, it was the survivors themselves who sit in front of the camera and they talk and the camera stays with them. And if they cry, they cry. And if they stutter, they stutter. And everything's fine. They are the protagonist. And this, uh, the films discuss their whereabouts and their relationship with their children. And when third generation entered the arena, they constantly say, we didn't want to make another Holocaust film. Meaning, we, and I know it because I'm a part of this generation, we grew up in an era in which this revolution was trivial for us because we, when we grew up, it became trivial for us to see Holocaust survivors talking and being documented and talking about themselves. It was not a given decades before, but it became a given when we grew up. So when my generation grew up, I can understand why the directors want to bring with them something new. They don't want to use the old bank of images and narratives, but they want to try something new, to ask new questions, to push the boundaries, to examine the borders of Holocaust commemoration. And they do it in various aspects. They question gender, they question the image, they question uh, survivors' testimonies, they question the place of Germany, and they even dare looking beyond the inner dialogue. And if you want um, an example, I think this is a, one of the best examples. Because what happened before they arrived is that the um, films created an inner dialogue, meaning, as I said, the protagonists were the survivors, they interacted with their children, they went on journeys in um, Europe and so on, but the focus of the film was the survivors, their children, and that's it. 
And now, for the first time, third generation begin to look beyond and begin to look to the other side, to the forbidden side, to the place which was taboo in Israel for so long. And this is the perpetrators, the bystanders, and both these uh, groups' descendants. And you can see in a very clear way how third generation dare to focus in their films on bystanders, on children of perpetrators, and not to recheck again how do we Jewish Israelis deal with the Holocaust, but how do they deal with the familial past? What let, can let, a woman... Let, let me ask you something. Why did you use the word, the word dare? Why, why is it, it... It struck me as uh, peculiar. Because even though we're talking about a society with such an immense uh, Holocaust awareness, in Israeli culture, up until, I would say, the late 90s, we tended to look upon ourselves, uh, especially in cinema. How do Holocaust survivors integrate in Israel? How does Zionism uh, create a revival from Holocaust to the new life? How do the children of the survivors deal with the trauma that was transferred to them? And there was they barely looked outside to check what's happening around them, around the world, and especially what's happening within families of perpetrators. It was, I would say, almost a taboo because who cares how do the children and grandchildren of a Nazi perpetrator deal with the past? And actually, nobody cared. And if they did, they didn't uh, actually put it in films up until the late 90s. And it's, again, it's not math, but it's mostly mostly the work of third generation. Of course, there are others. There are also second generation today who still create films and also look to the other side. But I would say it's mostly the work of third generation, which I think in a way are more liberated than their parents. Their relationship with their grandparents are completely different. And you can find it in research as well. The re- research shows that the relationship between Holocaust survivors uh, as grandparents and their grandchildren is completely different than the relationship they had with their children. It's um, less intense. It's, it's uh, less complicated. It has a lot more empathy. And from this stage, third generation can dare to look to the other side and even feel empathy towards the offspring of perpetrators. Again, a thing that we couldn't find in Israeli culture beforehand. So, so tell me how you, as a third generation writer, how are you going beyond and what's your special take on this? And through this book, what are you doing with, with this uh, newly discovered energy and curiosity? Um, first of all, I was uh, delighted to find out that my generation pushes the borders of Holocaust commemoration. And I think what they do is a very important thing because, as you know, collective memory is not um, a unified entity that doesn't change, but it changes over time. This is the meaning of collective memory. And in a way, third generation documentaries are doing what they're supposed to do because they change the collective memory. They add another layer of memory. They um, force the Israeli audience to rethink notions and themes that have become almost fixed in Israeli culture. For example, again, another short example, this whole topic of Holocaust survivors' testimonies. Up until the new millennium, when you talked about Holocaust survivors' testimony in Israel, they were almost, I would say, sacred. 
and you can see it in Israeli films up until the new millennium. You can see it in second generation films where the, the documentaries are the uh, interviewers. They sit in front of their parents or their parents' friend. They interview them. They only listen. They don't question too much. They don't dare to debate testimony. And that's it. this is the way it, went, the, it was in Israeli culture up until the third generation arrived. And I show in my book the third generation in a very, very delicate way that doesn't hurt the survivor's power or importance, remind us what research know since the 1940s, that survivors' testimonies can be problematic, that there are um, cases of what uh, is called in research misremembering or embellished memories or disremembering. And you can find all of this within the testimonies of Holocaust survivors, which third generation dare for the first time to question, to show us that sometimes Holocaust survivors maybe don't remember so well, that they have difficulties remember, that if you put two survivors who went through uh, similar things in the same room, they uh, begin to argue, did this happen, did that happen? And again, they do it in a very, very gentle way that doesn't hurt the survivor's importance nor the testimony's importance. But again, they force us to ask new questions that we didn't dare to ask before when Holocaust survivors' testimonies were considered simply sacred, no more, no less. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So one of the things that you talk about in the book as part of your discussion of memory studies is something you call prosthetic memory, right? Yes, I discuss um, various terms, uh, post-memory, which deals with the second generation after post-memory, and prosthetic memory. And post-memory is a term coined by Marian Hirsch, and she uh, talked about second generation and the way they structure uh, their memory by imagining uh, what they didn't go through. It's, a, it's an imagination. It's not something that they really went through. They, it's inherited uh, imagination. And I use also Jared Byers after post-memory. He uses Marian Hirsch's term to discuss third generation, and he claims that after post-memory implies that the public has historical knowledge about the Holocaust, and again, the public has historical knowledge because the second generation were there to do the job for them. So after post-memory is when the new generation, the third generation, engages with Holocaust commemoration from different perspectives because they know that the historical knowledge is already there, so now they can turn to other perspectives. And prosthetic memory is, again, a very interesting term by Alison Landsberg, and she uses this term to characterize memories of historical events that people adopt as their own, even though they didn't actually experience them. And it can occur uh, within a mass culture technology of memory because it recreates and implements history of the individual, even though you didn't go through it, you didn't uh, experience it. 
And I show in my book how prosthetic memory, this memory that you didn't experience, this memory that you adopt as your own, even though you didn't experience it, changes from generation to generation, meaning the prosthetic memory of the second generation is not the same as the prosthetic memory of the third generation because they grew up within different uh, cultures, because they grew up in different times in which Holocaust awareness was different. Each and every one of these groups relates to the Holocaust from different perspectives. So I wanted to ask you, um, maybe that's a good time to go a little bit deeper into your book and not necessarily summarize the five chapters and the five, five um, subjects you're dealing with, but perhaps give us examples of some of the things you were talking about from the various chapters. I mean, you have a chapter talking about the experience of women as Holocaust, I mean, in the Holocaust, then, uh, you know, the experience of Germany by Jews. I, I'm going through the, the, the uh, table of contents. And then yeah. you talk also about uh, the by, bystanders, which you uh, reminded us, and, and other things. And um, maybe give examples from documentaries that you think would really convey some of the points you're raising. Yeah, okay. Um, but you know that we're doing the impossible. I mean, we're trying to talk about films without doing a spoiler, so uh, I don't know what to do, but maybe there is a spoiler alert in yeah, here. For so, example, uh, for, for example, uh, one of the things that I think is very interesting is, for example, the understanding that women experience the Holocaust differently because of gender differences. This is something that I think, is part of the contribution of third-generation discourse. Is that correct? Yeah, you're completely right. And when we talk about the second-generation documentaries, and again, documentaries that were produced since the 1980s, and we talked about the way that they chose their Holocaust survivors as protagonists. So the Holocaust survivors discussed their whereabouts. Men and women discussed their whereabouts, but they didn't discuss unique female experience, meaning when a woman Holocaust survivor appeared on screen, she discussed her whereabouts. She talked about the ghettos, about concentration, camps, but she didn't discuss unique female experience. And when I talk about unique female experience, I'm talking about pregnancies, abortions, childbirth, attempts to maintain femininity, and physical and body changes. It all make female experience different from those of men. And what third generation does is that they focus on this unique female experience. And this debate, whether Holocaust commemoration should treat women otherwise is to also be found in research because when uh, researchers tried to discuss Jewish women separately from men in the first decades after the Holocaust, it was a big problem for them because uh, men researchers claimed that it's a it's even a borderline Holocaust denial because when the Nazis wanted uh, to murder the Jews, they didn't differentiate between men and women. They wanted to murder the Jews. And talking about women as a separate group is a problem in Holocaust research. But what happened since the 1970s is that Holocaust researchers, mainly women, did began to discuss the unique female experience. And one of the terms which I believe represents this um, uniqueness more than anything is by Mirna Goldberg and she phrased it different horrors same hell 
And I think this term says everything. I mean, Jewish women suffered as Jews, of course, but also as women. So that's the final solution. Did it differentiate between men and women? Gender provides yet another lens through which life and death in the Holocaust can be examined. And this is what third generation do, because in their films, they uh, address pregnancies and abortion and childbirth and attempts to maintain femininity. So women Holocaust survivors, when they appear, they don't talk just about the general things like ghettos and concentration camps, but they discuss these things, sexual harassment, sexual abuse, things that didn't uh, or were marginalized before now become one of the core subjects of the film. So, so there's a whole the whole um, group of films that deal with these things. That they deal with the things and exposes them. And I must say that uh, within my great impression from what third generation documentaries do, there are also um, problems. And I also represent in my book a critical view about their doing because within their work you can find um, ethical questions and. Here I mean or I refer to films in which uh, grandchildren or Holocaust survivors or descendants of part of the family and so on try to find out or to dig out uh, secrets that Holocaust survivors worked really hard and didn't want uh, anyone to know about it. They worked really hard to cover the traces. They didn't want anyone to know about it. And here comes the third generation and they dig up these uh, secrets, and they don't just tell the family what happened to the grandparents, but they also share it with the world. And I believe these films, as important as they are, and are very important, also raise critical ethical questions. I mean, are we allowed? Should we do it? And I use research which discuss ethics and documentary, and one of the first notions within this research is that the rights of the protagonists of the films must be kept. But what if they're already dead? What if they don't know that that's what the grandchildren do? Is it ethical? And I um, I leave it with this question mark because I think these questions must be asked as well. Because we, second generation, third generation, researchers, scholars, and so on, we are so eager to learn, to know, to understand the biography, what happened, and so on, that sometimes we tend to forget the person behind the survivor. And these persons are entitled to their silence, to their secrets, or at least we should ask ourselves, are we allowed? And my book also raises these questions. Are we allowed? Should we always do it? Is a curiosity more important than their rights for their secrets? I don't know. I leave it with this question mark. But again, I believe that these films bring us to these very important questions that didn't appear before. Yeah, uh, and then and then you talk also about um, uh, some of your chapters talk about subject we 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 discuss, which is memory and the elusiveness elusiveness of memory and the problematics of memory. But you also uh, there there are two chapters in the book that um, cover documentaries that look at Germany and look at also the. The, the children and grandchildren of um, bystanders and perpetrators. And that, I think, is very unusual, right? It is very unusual. And I think it takes, um, it, it has to be the third generation that does it because, again, the second generation was too immersed within 
the Holocaust pain to do it. I think you needed this gap, this buffer zone between the Holocaust survivors and the grandchildren to enable them to look beyond. And in my opinion, these are fascinating films because what they do when they look at the bystanders is that they dismantle this term bystanders. And I don't know how it's like in other places in the world, but in Israel, we grew up when we knew about the Holocaust, that the Holocaust was categorized in three ways, the victims, the perpetrators, and the bystanders. But actually, Raoul Hilberg, already since the 90s, it, it told us that the bystanders' term is very problematic, and he talked about helpers, gainers, onlookers, and so on. And recent research dismantles this term, this false term, bystanders, even more, because we know that there were people who were onlookers, observers, or witnesses. We know that there were people who gained from the Holocaust by acquiring Jewish property. Those are gainers. We also know that they are collaborators, and we also know that they are perpetrators, meaning not the Nazis, but uh, the countries, the people in the countries that the Nazis conquered. And also, one person can begin as an onlooker and then become a gainer and then become a perpetrator. And again, previous films that dealt with this inner dialogue of what's happening with the survivors and how do their children deal with the trauma didn't address these issues. And what third generation do is that they deal with these issues and they dismantle even more this term titled bystanders in films that, in my opinion, are chilling, like uh, Out of the Forest and others. Out of the Forest, for example, discusses the people of Punar who witnessed the, mur the murder that took place there, the murder of the Vilnius Jews. They were there, they saw everything, they knew everything. And now, after so many years, they talk to the camera, they don't hide it, they don't say, we didn't know, we didn't. they just they simply talk about it. And we understand the diversity of this term bystander, how complex it is, how horrible it is by just listening to their sounds. And again, letting the bystanders become the core of the films is a new theme that third generation bring with them. And what about the um, the the subject of uh, films? The what about films whose subject is Germany or a re a reassessment of Germany? Is that how you'd say it? Yeah. Again, it was very um, fascinating for me to find out that in a society so immersed in Holocaust awareness, Germany was completely marginalized in documentary cinema and in docu Israeli cinema in general up until, I would say, the late 90s. Because when we're dealing with second-generation films, they depict family journeys back to Europe, to the family's roots, and reenact family history, and so on. But they mostly uh, go to Eastern Europe. And Germany is completely marginalized. In Germany, what it meant for the people who were forced to leave it, and what third-generation documentaries do is they make Germany a prominent destination. And they deal with Germany as a place, as a beloved homeland for those who were forced to live it in the 30s. And they deal with Germany as a place Holocaust survivors chose to return to after the war. And they deal with Germany as a place that the young generation in Israel, third generation in Israel, choose to go to and live their lives, live Israel and live their lives there. And these topics, these subjects, again, up until the last 
two decades were considered borderline blasphemy. Nobody dealt with it. Germany was the other place, the evil, uh, the heart of evil. And suddenly those films, those new films, bring with them another attitude towards Germany, much more complex. For example, uh, the film The Flats, again, I'm sorry, spoiler, by Arnold Goldfinger from uh, 2011, discusses the way his grandparents, who were forced to immigrate from Germany in the 1930s, could not detach themselves from their beloved homeland. And they, like many other uh, Jewish Germans who were forced to leave Germany, created in the land of Israel kind of a um, German bubble. They uh, brought with them the furniture, they continued to use the German language, to cook German food and so on, and even discussed uh, their whereabouts in this uh, language that the Jews in Israel hated so much. And it was very, very hard for them to leave their beloved homeland and come to the Levant, to this new uh, land, which of course was very far from Central Europe. And what Arnold Goldfinger shows in the flat is this extreme situation in which his grandparents, again, spoiler, chose to be friends with the Nazi couple before and after the Holocaust. Even after the Holocaust, when they knew what the Nazis have done, when they knew the friend was a Nazi, they resumed their relationship, and they even uh, their relationship even included the extension of family photos and gifts. And the grandparents traveled to Germany many times to visit their friends. Again, the former Nazis, they couldn't detach themselves from their homeland, from the people, even from those who were Nazis. This is just the the beginning of the story, but again, it shows another very complex angle of the attitude towards Germany which we were brought up and we were uh, taught that we must hate and so on. So um, I wanted to ask you, we need to soon wrap up, but I wanted to ask you, so this work you've done on the book probably uh, made you think a lot about uh, the issues we discussed. And I, I uh, going forward, how do you see the Holocaust discourse continuing? Of course, you know, we can't predict anything, but do you envision a fourth generation, et cetera, et cetera? Um, regarding the use of the term, I'm not sure. Again, I'd rather look at the present and at the past than in the future. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting, first of all, to know if there is such a thing titled fourth generation. What will the psychological research has to say about it? And regarding Holocaust commemoration, I think there is a big, big question mark because what we can see very clearly is that there is um, an attempt to use or to create a Holocaust commemoration within social media. You can find it in Twitter and Instagram. There was lately a great debate in Israel regarding a Holocaust commemoration on Instagram and using the Holocaust as stories on Instagram and so on. But Many times I think that um, the, the search for the new tool overcomes the content. I mean, there will be use of new tools in social media and so on, but I don't know if the content is going to be so different than what we've encountered so on. I mean, I cannot tell if there will be another layer of commemoration, meaning asking new questions that weren't asked. I'm looking forward to it. 
but I can't tell if there will be another layer like that. Who will be in charge of this layer? How will it look like? A big question mark around it. Interesting. I think this is a good uh, point um, to end the, the, the conversation, don't you think? Or anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, I think it's a good place uh, to end. And I would uh, I hope that uh, our listeners will buy the book and read it and watch the films. I think it's very important to say that those films uh, all were translated to English, have English uh, subtitles. They've appeared in many festivals around the world, won awards and so on. And I really recommend watching them uh, because I think they're really interesting. And again, add another layer to the Holocaust commemoration as we know it so far. Thank you. Thank you very much, Liat, for talking to, uh, to me today. Thank you.